Hi, welcome to Pineapple Reels. I'm your host, Nia. And on today's episode, we'll be speaking about Sorry to Bother You that came out in 2018 by writer and director Boots Riley. Stay tuned. The plot summary for the film is as follows. In an alternate present-day version of Oakland, telemarketer Cassius Green, played by the Keep Stanfield, discovers a magical key to professional success, propelling him into a universe of greed. In this movie, we have Lakeith Stanfield play Cassius Green, and his name stands for Cash is Green. Tessa Thompson played Detroit, short for Troit. Jermaine Fowler played Salvador. Amari Hardwick played Mr. Bleep. Terry Crews played Cassius's uncle, Sergio. Danny Glover had a small role as Langston. Stephen Young played Squeeze, Army Hammer played Steve Lift, Robert Longstreet played Anderson, and voicing the white voices, Patton Oswalt voiced for Mr. Blank played by Amari Hardwick, Lily James was Detroit's white voice, which was actually a British white voice, and then we also had a small role by Forrest Whitaker as the very first Equisapien, Demarius. Since I just named the cast, I wanted to talk about them a bit. Um, I am a huge fan of Lakeith Stanfield, and I have yet to see him in a role that I didn't like or really appreciate or thought he really brought the character to life. I think he was very fitting as Cassius Green. It really seemed to play well on screen. I think him and Tessa Thompson, who's another amazing actress, um, I think they played very well on screen together as a couple. I really liked her character that, yeah, she was... A little bit of a hippie artist but she also cared about you know the things that actually mattered and wanted to do something and have a voice jermaine fowler who plays salvador who's also a comedian i love his stand-up i think he's a hilarious dude he also played uh eddie murphy's son in um coming to america too that came out uh, about a month or two ago and i really liked him in that role i liked that he got to be a lead because i think not enough people know about jermaine fowler and i really like to see him in more stuff more tv shows more movies more leading roles we had um amari hardwick as mr bleep who most people probably know him from power and other roles he's done in movies Amari Hardwick just simply is an amazing actor. He's ha- He has a lot of versatility, and I really liked seeing him in this film as well. I think he played his character exceptionally well. Uh, Terry Crews played Cash's uncle, Sergio, and Terry Crews is funny to me. He knows how to play the role that he's given. He, he, he knows how to add the comedic relief, whether it needs to be lighthearted or a little bit harder than that i think in this one i think he played being the uncle just right you know he gave he gave it that right amount um steven young as squeeze i i liked him a lot i wasn't a fan i'm not a fan of the walking dead but i did like i do like steven young in this role and other things that i saw him in and it just makes me want to see more things that he's been in or plans to do army hammer i think the first time i saw him was in the Facebook, the, the Facebook movie, as well as 
J. Edgar Hoover, where he starred alongside Leonardo DiCaprio. And I really liked him in that film. He's a very good dramatic actor. And so it was nice to see him in a more lighthearted role, very funny. I think he played that character very well. He he added the 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 ditzy comedy that it needed and the self-entitlement that that character breathed. So I really enjoyed seeing that performance. And we had a small role from Donald Glover in this film. I love I, I love seeing him and stuff, no matter what it is. I just I, I really like it. He's he's a really good actor. I liked him in this film too. I think even though it was a small role, he still stands out. I think everybody in this film, no matter how small or big their role was, whether it was a line or it was just an action, I think everybody did a very good job of making this movie very cohesive and easy to understand. I think the director and the writer, Boots Riley, he did a very good job of writing this film. He was able to layer it in a way that a lot of different people can understand the message that he's trying to get across, the point that he's trying to get across. And he does in this indie film, unorthodox sort of way. And it was really a a breath of fresh air in cinema. I also like that we had a cast, a very diverse cast. And at times, yeah, it was brought up, but it wasn't about the struggles of being a black man or woman or, you know, any other type of, of, of race for that matter. I really like that they were just talking about how unfair a certain working class system is. Do you have what it takes to be a power caller? Sorry to bother you falls Cassius Cash Green, a young man who lands a job at a call center. After a fellow employee encourages him to use his quote-unquote white voice to get ahead of his colleagues, Cash takes advice, and as soon as he does, he reaps in the financial benefits. A special gold elevator, praise from his supervisor, and of course, cold hard cash. The more successful he becomes, the more his connections to his family, girlfriend, and friends start to come second to getting cash. Will Cash's his conscious be able to pull him back to reality and what really matters, or will his newfound love of money roll overall? Stay tuned to find out. What makes this film work so well? It's honesty and accurate depiction of what it's like working at a call center. And at first, you're an eager prospect in desperate need of employment because, let's be honest, you need money. And you apply because the the hourly wage is decent and they offer benefits. The first few weeks seem to fly by and go fairly well. It's usually around the six-month mark or so that morale starts to lower. And the job is just that, a job. The worker is zombified in a way with mundane and repetitive tasks. Then you have the other type of call center workers, the ones that understand and know how to work the system. And they usually end up staying there for the long haul and move up higher, eventually to management. Again, this job is repetitive and mundane and ultimately meaningless. Its only purpose is, is uh, to provide, you know, financial stability. It's a job where if you didn't come or that job is shut down, it's not affecting people. You're not doing anything for the greater good. You're not truly helping people. And your job is more so just, you know, a, a job that could probably be replaced by robots. 
Cassius, or Cash as everyone else calls him, lands a job at a call center. There are no frills in particular, and it appears as your average run-of-the-mill workplace. His supervisor's only instructions when he's working is STTS, which means stick to the script. A simple principle to understand, though, his first attempts on a job have Cash a bit frazzled. I used to work at a call center, and I've worked at a total of three. I received inbound calls and from, I think, one or two of them. The other one, I had to call the company's contacts. I never had to actually sell a product, only promote or offer services to help customers, like uh, helping customers understand the company jargon that um, confused them or understanding what their service was or what their contract meant. So for me, watching this film, this is an accurate depiction of what the first day live is on the phone, like on the phones. The first day live on the phone, most people, most jobs, they give you a script. And yeah, you're following the script, but it's still robotic in tone because you don't actually speak like this. You're using someone else's words in a way that you wouldn't actually say. And we've all been contacted by telemarketers before and their responses seem robotic. They seem scripted. They don't, they lack empathy and it's just very annoying. You don't really actually want to talk to them. So on the first day of the job, Cash is realizing this, like he's having a lot of people hang up on him or they'll they'll throw a wrench in the script. It's like the first caller he had, the lady, he calls the lady and speaks to her and she tells him like, she's crying and she's like, oh, you know, my husband just died. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he's so frazzled. He just, like the phrase says, he sticks to the script and just keeps on going and the lady's upset and hangs up on him. Naturally, if someone tells you, hey, I just lost a family member, someone important to me, and your response is, right. So yeah, we offer these deals. You don't care about me and you're trying to sell me something. So if you don't even care about me and this little time of need I have, I don't care to hear what service you're selling. It's probably it's probably something I don't actually need in the first place. What is his motivation for work? Simple, he needs money. He's a 20-something-year-old living in his uncle's garage. And to boot, he drives a bucket for a car that was gifted to him by said uncle. This job is a way to get out and get his own place. One where him and his girlfriend, Detroit, played by Tessa Thompson, can feel comfortable at. While at work one day, he is frustrated from the back-to-back hangups he's receiving from customers. Langston, played by Donald Glover, no, not Josh Gambino, tells him that he can expand his contact list by using his quote-unquote white voice. Now, for those of you who don't know what the term using your white voice means, it's a phrase said when someone is trying to sound professional. Is it stupid that certain demographics of people feel the need to do this code switching? Yes, to a certain extent. Even the slang term is annoying, but in retrospect, in particular, Black people at times feel the need to cold switch while occupying heavily white populated areas, in particular at work. I've done so myself while working in the corporate world. And like the film says, it's talking as if you don't have a care in the world. Cash's supervisor and fellow employees keep reminding him to stick to the script, which is a very popular phrase in call centers. Usually when you are a telemarketer, the company gives you the script to handle customer relationship, like I said earlier, and they typically don't want you to stray from the provided source material. And it's for the exact reason of what happens with Cash and the woman he's speaking to. We see him struggle with her and you know after he takes the advice of using his white voice it begins to show success 
Now, what I loved about the scenes with Cash talking to the customers is that he imagines himself physically in their home, face to face with them. Truly the ultimate invasion of privacy. And we see him in one phone call, he's in someone's kitchen. and another phone call, he's in their bedroom as they're uh, having sex. There's another call he's talking to um, a client, I think in Japan, and he's literally face to face with him while he's on the toilet. And the, the more calls he makes, the more his confidence grows. And also the white voices are provided by known white actors. So you'll hear the voices of Steve Buscemi, Patton Oswald, David Cross, and Lily James. Now it's clear in my opinion that this decision to use actual white actors to voice the quote unquote white voice was a decision by Boots Rally to show you cannot always determine someone's race by the sound of their voice. After a work meeting, Squeeze uh, invites Cash for drinks. Sound Detroit tag along as well. While at the bar, an ad for the company called Worry Free pops up. They offer secure jobs, housing at the facility, and food. There's a group called the Left Eye Movement that believes that Worry Free's employees are being used for slave labor and to cut costs. The group goes around the city protesting and vandalizing billboards that Worry Free posts. They, they uh, put graffiti on things like slave labor or liar and... Going into what Worry Free is doing for employees of providing housing on campus, this is this movie came out in 2018, but the director wrote it years before. And it's funny because this is actually happening at companies. I'm not going to say that the certain companies, everybody can look this information up for themselves, but there are companies that offer their employees um, a place to stay. They offer them food, whether it's deducted from their from their pay or if it's like um, a certain fee that they, they pay monthly for it. But this is actually a thing. Now, I don't know about everybody else, but personally, I do not want to live where I work at. Because if that's the case, I feel like they kind of own me and they can tell me what to do when. And this is too much tracking, in my opinion. It, it, it It's very weird. But on the other end of that, I can understand why somebody would want to work at a company that takes care of all their stuff for them. Like the company is called Worry Free. You could be somewhere where you know, oh, if I, as long as I just do my however many hours a day, then I don't have to worry about where to stay at. I don't have to worry about my utilities. I don't have to worry about a car note, et cetera, et cetera. So it definitely makes sense. And this is tr- clearly geared to more towards lower class people that they struggle in the day-to-day things. Now, from Cash using his white voice, he's generating a lot of sales at work. On the un- on the other hand, though, his newfound friend Squeeze organizes all the callers to protest against their employer called Regalview. Due to worry-free being their biggest client and they want a fair livable wage, the supervisors call Cash into the office to talk. And he starts, you know, going in on them, telling them, telling them off until they let him know. They're laughing like, hey, hey, um... We're just letting you know that we think you have what it takes to be a power caller. And when Cash hears this, you know, it's kind of like a light bulb, light, light bulb dings in his mind. And he ends up taking the position as a power caller. Now, when he goes to the power caller floor, he meets Mr. He's played by Omari Hardwick. And he tells cash that they're selling power essentially that's what their business is and that's power of any kind firepower and manpower and that they have thousands of companies that utilize worry-free workers to improve their efficiency 
Now, essentially, they are selling slave laborers to companies over the phone. The workers live in efficiency, in efficiency dwellings in the same facilities that they do their production in. They make anything and everything, and it's the cheapest labor in the world due to cutting costs like that. They offer lifetime contracts, so no wages are actually needed. They make automobiles for what it used to cost to make bicycles. Cash at first struggles with the morality of it all. Regarding willfully selling slave labor, Mr. shows him his starting salary. And Cash laughs and replies, well, I had to buy some new suits. <laughs> Meanwhile, Detroit and Swedes have a small moment to talk. It's obvious that he's into her and offers her a ride home after, after she's done with work. But she declines his offer, letting him know that, you know, Cash will be by later to pick her up. But Cash ends up working late, so late that Detroit has to get a friend to pick her up. He stops by later at her art gallery space to apologize as she's preparing for a new installation. She accepts the apology and they begin to talk about what her new art means. She begins to tell him she wanted to talk about a life shaped by exploitation, about fighting for a say in her own in our own lives, about how beauty, love, and laughter thrive and flourish under almost any circumstances how capitalism basically started by stealing labor from Africans. And Cash is nodding, agreeing, uh, agreeing with what she's saying, but he's zoning in and out and reaching out for the joint that she's so casually smoking. She realizes what he's doing and she gives it to him and tell, and he tells her to keep going and that he's listening. But she said she's done talking and just wants to enjoy the moment. Now, the next day or so, uh, Cash and his Cash's coworkers are shocked to see Cash dressed up. He lets them know that he is now a power caller and will cheer for them on the sidelines. He needs money so that he can help his uncle pay the mortgage so that he can keep his house, the house he lets Cash stay in. His friends say that they understand his dilemma, but that they don't think he should be a sellout. Now he yells at Sal, saying that his success has nothing to do with him. He tells him to keep doing what he's doing and he will root for him. They get into a very pleasant yet tense argument before Cash goes inside. After helping Worry Free close a $10 million deal, Cash asks for an advance since he's low and in the financial bind. We see a montage of Cash taking care of business. He first gives his uncle a check to pay off his house. Then he upgrades from his janky car to a brand new one and upgrades all his furnishings and gets a new apartment downtown with Detroit. One morning, Cash is watching TV. And as he flips through the channels, he sees a TV show like MTV Cribs, but for their worry-free workers. Their beds are triple bunk beds and they are packed in like sardines, as well as they, their food is like a school cafeteria-like food. He changes the channel, not wanting to watch it, and he sees the regal workers protesting, requesting a livable, a livable wage and to not live on food that isn't nutritious. When Detroit wakes up, Cash greets her in his white voice. She tells him that it's creepy and asks for him to stop. It's obvious at this moment that Cash's work and personal and the real hammer, they're, they're having a battle. Cash and Detroit argue about Cash's work being an immoral job, to which Cash debates. He's saying she's not doing much of anything by selling art to rich people. She tells him that if he crosses that picket line next time for work, that they are done. And Cash actually ends up going to work where he continues to excel. 
The next day, while crossing the picket line, a protester sees a window of opportunity and launches a full can of soda at Cash, hitting him in the head. In the next scene, he has bandages around his head and is bleeding, but he's still working. Now, to me, I saw that as I've heard countless employees at jobs that are like this, mundane and and not important, and they're hurt or they're sick, but they're still going to work because they need money. You know, their mindset might be, well, I'm not dead. I'm able to walk. I'm going to come in here and clock in and get this money, which I understand. But it is sad that as a society and the workforce, in particular in corporate America, that a lot of people have this mentality of I got to work and I got to push my fingers to the bone no matter what. When what Cash should have done was, hey, I got to go to the hospital because I might have a concussion. There might be something truly wrong with me instead of thinking, well, I got to get back to this money, which it just shows you the mindset of someone in Cash's position. Yes, he's making money, but he still has a certain mentality and he wants to get to a certain level of success, which I can see why he wants to be wants to have a certain level of success. He doesn't want to want for anything. He wants to have everything taken care of. He wants to be able to have a nice apartment, a decent car, take care of his family, take care of his girlfriend and have fun while doing it. Whether or not that job means that he's doing something for the greater good or just a job where it's like, hey, my bills are paid, right? Well, my bills are paid. I'm good. I don't care what I'm doing as long as I'm ha- I have enough to take care of myself and those around me. I'm just going to call Omari Harbutt's character Mr. from now on. So Mr. invites Cash to an exclusive party hosted by Steve Lift, the owner of Worry Free, and states that attending this party could change his life. Cash agrees to go after Detroit's art gallery. Even though they are no longer together, he still wants to go and show face and show support. Sal and Squeeze also are there too, and that's when they let Cash know about the incident with the soda can, it actually made him a viral internet sensation. Squeeze tries to convince Cash one last time to switch to their side and help out, but it falls on deaf ears. I also want to make a note of best part of the film, of the viral sensation. I think it's a, to represent how these little things that should have been something that maybe we saw and it was it was it's done or it shouldn't hold that much weight they become something that goes viral and it's repetitive and people get into it and then this person becomes famous off of it and it's just what is the point it is it that big of a deal and I think we're all guilty we all have a guilty pleasure of some of something like this some incident where someone got super famous from a viral video when in reality was just like this shouldn't have been a thing in the first place there are more important pressing manners to attend to it is important to note that at the art gallery, Detroit uses her white voice, which is a white British voice, and is voiced by Lily James, and she uses it with her potential wealthy clients. And Cash gets to see her use it, and he's kind of like, just like, whoa, I didn't, uh, didn't know what your white voice sounded like. We can clearly see that expression on his face. And she greets she greets Cash when he comes in and tells him that she's happy that he's there because what she's showing is very important. And she goes on to the to the sta- to a stage and announces to the crowd that they will have a transformative experience. And she begins a begins a live art performance that allows a viewer to throw old cell phones, um, bullet shell casings, and bags of sheep's blood at her. Cash sees this and it startles him so much where he jumps on stage and tries to get her to stop. 
She tells him it's part of the show, and if he doesn't approve, he can go. He leaves and heads to Steve's party. At Steve's party, he meets up with Mr., and everyone is high on cocaine, and an orgy takes place later on. Steve asks Cash to rap and in front of all the party goers, and even though Cash tells him repeatedly, I can't rap, that's like not my thing, Steve and the other party goers encourage him to do it. Like, come on, you have to be able to rap. Like, it's a thing. Like, come on, like, you, you're like, you're like from the hood. You're from like the gutter. Like, you got to do it. And, you know, feeling peer pressured, he tries and he's feeling miserably. Eventually, he starts saying stupid stuff, right? And I think, I'm not going to repeat the line that he says, but I think the reason why they showed this in particular, that line that he said, I think it's to show that there are there there is some music currently, whether it's rap music or other types or other genres of music that have extremely repetitive lyrics. They don't have lyrical content, and after listening to it, you feel dumber than you were before you hit play. And someone like my my father or people who are like fans of certain kind of music they feel that, you know, an art form is lost. And I think this scene really shows that. So when Cash says this line and this crowd of white people say this line back to him, he, you know, his face is kind of like, ah, what's going on? This is kind of weird. And even Mr. standing in the crowd and he's just kind of looking around like, uh, okay. Mr. has a moment with Cash and for the first time in the entire film, we see him code switch to his authentic voice. He tells him that Steve wants to meet with him in his office. While in the office, Steve offers Cash a line of coke on a small plate with the picture of a horse on it. After the line, Steve starts to show Cash a promo video that they shot for the company. And it's a weird video. It's like a claymation type video. And Cash is struggling to concentrate because he, he needs to go to the bathroom. So he tells Steve that he has to go, and Steve tells Cash to go down the hall, and the bathroom is located at the jade-colored door. Very important. He goes to the wrong door, and hears someone calling out in a stall for help. When Cash opens the door, out falls a half-man, half-horse monstrosity. <laughs> Cash is horrified and shocked. He falls to the floor, and he he's screaming, and he's just like, what the hell am I looking at? And... As he, when he falls to the floor, floor, even more of these creatures emerge. They are begging Cash for help. Steve runs in and finds Cash and is upset because he used the olive door instead of the J door. They go back to his office and finish the promo video as Steve urges him to do so. Now, Steve explains that those creatures are equisapiens. In the promo video, Worry Free wants to transform workers into these beings as they believe humans can be used as tools for the company's personal gain. They'll be able to work harder with this body modification with a simple serum. The serum is a coke-like substance and is ingested the same way. Cash begins to freak out, thinking that Steve just tricked him into taking the serum. But Steve assures Cash it was, it's regular Coke, pure, I think he says Peruvian or Colombian. And he offers Cash $100 million to take the serum and become an Esquisapian himself so that he can lead others and keep them in line. And that after five years of service, he'll be given the antidote. Cash clearly refuses and walks away. Now, the next day, Cash is panicking. He's thinking about... 
uh, like what just happened. He's thinking that he might be going through like this metamorphosis phase of turning into one of these Equisapiens. And he realizes that he lost his phone. He calls Detroit and over to, to come inspect his body for any, you know, uh, irregularities. But she doesn't see any. But she did tell him that he did send her a weird video last night. And she shows him because he says he can't remember. And when they're watching it, it's a video It's a video that the Esquisapiens made on the phone Cash Left Behind. And it's a video of them. And it cuts to Steve, you know, telling them that they need to get back to their, their cells before he turns all of them into glue. And the video cuts off. So having this information, Cash is planning to expose Worry-Free. And he goes on this popular show called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. And this show is a show where literally what it sounds like, people go on this show to compete and they get humiliated, they get severely beaten up. And once they endure all of that, they get a cash prize of some sort. And after Cash is beaten and humiliated on live television, he didn't want money. He just wanted them to play his videos so that he could he could explode, uh, expose where you're free. And, you know, you're thinking that this, this is, this is going to be a good thing. And Cash goes on to multiple TV outlets and multiple magazines and newspapers telling the story that he experienced over and over and over again. You know, going from working at Regal View as a lowly telemarketer, then moving up in the ranks as a power caller and actually meeting the owner of Worry Free face to face and him telling cash this weird plan that he had you know and it's, it's to save it's, it's to save more cut back on costs and and in the end have more money in his pocket and in a turn for the worse this video actually just brings good publicity to worry free and their stocks rise and people even see steve as some sort of freaking messiah and I think that just parallels things in our in our society. How many celebrities have done something super taboo and then it's like I don't know, it's some some glitz and glamour or people forget what happened. You know, we have this quote unquote cancel culture. Someone can be canceled today and then three days later it's just nothing happened and people just sweep it under the rug, which in my opinion, depending on what it is, yeah, super in the rug or not, or, or or whatever. But something like this in this movie of a person changing some, someone's body against their will for pure profit is ridiculous. Now, Cash and Detroit eventually get back together and reconcile. And Cash goes ahead and talks with Sal and Squeeze, and they're all back on good terms. They all go back to Regal View to join the remaining protesters. Now, during this pro- this protest, things get crazy. SWAT comes out and they end up breaking up the crowd and they capture Cash and his friends. But they isolate Cash and throw him in the back of one of their vehicles. Now, while he's in there handcuffed and alone, Cash watches through a small opening in the van as the streets are running rampant with police forces attacking protesters. There's even a police car that runs down a group of protesters. They're they're not armed. They have they have nothing on them. They're just people with picket signs and this car runs them over. 
And the Equisapiens come out of nowhere and they start fighting against all these forces that are out here. And they finally escaped and they overpower the police and they're leading this charge. And the one that's leading it is Demarius from earlier. And he frees Cash and the rest of the, the Equisapiens retreat into the night. And they tell Cash, thank you for everything that he did. The movie ends with Cash moving back into his uncle's garage with some major renovations. And by major, major renovations, he just turned out the garage and put his new apartment stuff into his uncle's garage to make it look more modern and have a better feel. He ends up giving his flashy car to Sal as he is now driving a like regular sedan. And before Detroit and Cash can get, you know, somewhat comfortable at home, Cash feels a pain in on his face and he turns to reveal his face to Detroit and it's begun the transformation process to an Equisapien. Detroit looks at him in shock and disbelief. The very last scene shows Steve in his house as he gets a call through his front gate. He can see by the cameras that it's Cash in full Equisapien form now, leading the others that look just like him in a revolt. They storm Steve's house and Cash breaks on the door and lets out a roar as their camera fades to black. I think being a, with this being Boots Riley's debut film and he, he hasn't had another film since so far, I think he did such a great job at his debut. And I think that it was very understandable. I think this movie is very relatable to anyone that has ever been a telemarketer in the first place or has ever worked in corporate America and you just feel like a number. You feel like no one cares about you. You're just clocking in, clocking out. And if we were to fall dead right now, you're just going to be replaced by someone else. I will say this movie does have the power to make you look at your job and think, what am I doing with my life? Like, should I be doing this? Should I be doing something else? I want to do something that has more of a purpose that actually makes a difference. And if this is a, if this movie you know, makes you feel that way, it might be a good thing. And maybe you do need to switch your job. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to get influence from movies, especially one like this. I think this film lets us laugh at our society and what we do and what we accept and what we think is cool or how or how our morality is. I think it's definitely a mirror into how our society is in a present in the present day it's 2021 right now and this movie that came out in 2018 if anything was more so of like looking into the future the definition of capitalism is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather by than state and clearly that's what's going on with worry free and regal view they're doing that in a sort of tricky way and not being very forthcoming with their information but it's like a slow you know na- uh, dominance of the nation and capitalism can cause inequality, market failure, damage to the environment, short-termism, excessive materialism, and a boom and bust in the economic cycles. And I think we, we see a little bit of that in the film, too, after that um, protester threw a can of cola at Cash, and she says, have a cola and smile, bitch, and she throws it at him. He literally becomes a costume um, which I, I think is hilarious too of this woman who's all fight the power, fight the power, and then she turns around and she becomes part of that culture. Um, whether she knows it or not, or she's like, I understand what I'm doing, but I need to be paid, which is a constant theme running in this movie. A lot of people are willing to look past or ignore their morality 
for short-term financial gain and they're not thinking about the after effects or their conscience. Everybody, most people in this film, most of the characters, except for, I would say except for Salvador, are very selfish because I, I was going to say that Squeeze and Detroit aren't selfish, but Detroit definitely, you know, turns that switch on to sell her art to white people, these rich white people who don't really care about her cause and they're not really listening to her. They just want to buy a piece of art and say, oh yeah, I bought this at an art gallery. And Squeeze's character, he's selfish because Cash is supposed to be his friend and he still proceeds to hook up with Detroit. And I think that tells a lot about those two characters. Um, Cash's uncle, I think he's not selfish because he let he let Cash stay there, let him stay there for free. And we don't really hear him say or do anything that would make him a selfish character. You know, he's like, you know, I'm not even mad about you not paying me the money back because at this point we're just we're just all going to be out of a home. And when we actually see into Sergio's home when Cash gives him that first that that check for the for the mortgage, we see that it's a very packed house. There are a lot of people in it, so. I think it, I think that Sergio is a very kind-hearted guy, though he has this tough exterior. He has this tough exterior because he's a hard-working man. It's like, damn, this still isn't enough. I've done everything right. I did right by everybody. And it's just like, and I'm a working man, but I'm like still not cutting it. And I'm going to be the reason why my family might be on the streets. And even at one point in the movie, he's he's contemplating going to work at worry-free because he's like, you know what? I get it. You know, these people, they're down their luck and they they need they need things to be taken care of. You if someone says if, they, if someone offers you a job and says, I will take care of you don't have to worry about where you live. You don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about clothes, bedding. I'll take care of all that. All you got to do is work for me for the rest of your life a lot of people in their current situation are going to say yes because they need it and to them they don't really have materialistic views or needs so they're like if she I don't care if you're taking care of all that for me I'll do whatever job I just need to you know essentially exist and these worry-free employees whether they they're doing it on no or not that's essentially what they're doing they're just existing you know they're working a job and they're able to get things that they need and they don't have to worry about anything it's truly worry-free on their part what would i rate this movie i think for me this movie is probably a 10 only because i don't have anything negative to say about it i think they hit the nail on the head i think they were they didn't they weren't repetitive to the extent where it's like, okay, I get it. I think it had comedic relief in it. It had mystery. It had sci-fi. It had a little bit of a romance uh, thing in there too. Um, you got to see actors you know who are prominent, actors that you probably the first time you're ever seeing seeing their face or knowing their name. I think it was well written. I like the backdrop, the lighting. Um, the 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 style of of his directing and the practical effects that were used, I really enjoyed it, and it's definitely that indie film that's like a breath of fresh air. And I've seen this movie probably like ten times at this point because I watched it three or four times for the podcast itself. And I think this is a great movie, so I would definitely recommend if anyone, in particular, if you worked at a call center or you were a telemarketer back in the day, watch this film. It's kind of like the um the office space of telemarketing, and that's how I feel about this movie. It it it's similar in that aspect. Um, and I love office space. I think office space is hilarious to this day. I I will always laugh at those jokes, and I really hope that Boots Rally 
makes another film because if he can make a film that's that's anywhere near good as this one oh man that would be really nice to see so i hope that maybe he's writing something now and it'll come out soon but i would really love to see what he has in store for us Alrighty, folks, it is time for the IMDb facts. Now, the name of the main character, Cash is Cash Green, is a reference to what motivates him for much of the movie, the pursuit of wealth. Over 60 scenes were shot in 28 days. Originally, Donald Glover planned to play the lead of Cash is Green, but was unable to do so due to scheduling conflicts with Solo, a Star Wars story. He recommended his Atlanta co-star, Lakeith Stanfield, for the role instead, and I think he did a pretty good job. The voice of the elevator is actually Rosario Dawson. Here are some quotes from the movie that I thought were pretty good. I wanted to highlight these. So Anderson said, this is telemarketing. We're not mapping the fucking human genome here. I don't care if you have experience for this. I'll hire damn near anyone. Langston said, it's not really a white voice. It's what they wish they sounded like what they think they're supposed to sound like. And Cash said, I try to change it. I try to stop it, but it's just right there in front of their faces. They're turning human beings into monstrosities and no one gives a fuck. Squeeze says, most people that saw you on that screen, no calling their congressman wasn't gonna do shit. If you get shown a problem, but have no idea how to control it, then you just decide to get used to the problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pineapple Reels. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can DM me on Instagram at Pineapple Reels or email me pineapplereels at gmail.com. Now, next time on the show, I'm going to cover Quentin Tarantino's film entitled Inglorious Bastards. It's one of my favorite films of his. I would probably say it's like my number two or number three out of the nine films that he has so far. That is the sound of the spoiler alert. If you have not watched this film yet and you would like to, go ahead and pause this, watch the film, then come on back.